The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Fourteen is in the books for the Cincinnati Bengals, and they go down at the hands of the Dallas Cowboys, thirty to seven on their own home turf. Not a great way to end the weekend for the Cincinnati Bengals. Hey everyone, I'm Anthony Casenza with CincyJungle.com and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Hope you are all doing well despite the result today, as the Bengals fall to two, ten, and one. There were maybe a couple of positives to take away from this one, but overall, this was a very, very week after week. These become more and more difficult to to take in uh, the product that's being placed on the field and the performances. Um, We'll get to some stats. We'll get to uh, I've got a a little snippet of the Zach Taylor press conference from Bengals.com. It was it's on Bengals.com. I'm going to share just a little piece that I thought was pretty interesting there. So we'll do that. We'll go through some of the numbers, stats, and break down what we saw this afternoon. Again, the Cincinnati Bengals lose to Andy Dalton and the Dallas Cowboys, 30-7. to Congratulations to Andy Dalton. Um, not a spectacular game by him in terms of stats, but, you know, uh, played a pretty clean game, did what he needed to do, had a lot of short fields thanks to turnovers and Bengals not converting on fourth downs and all that kind of stuff. And he took advantage, got the win on his old home turf, saw quite a few nice shots of him and his wife. And, uh, you know, say what you want. We were all we've all been very critical of Andy Dalton during his time with the Cincinnati Bengals, myself included. Can't can't root against Andy Dalton, the guy. Uh, Andy Dalton, the man is a is a high quality individual. And, you know, regardless of the result today, I think a lot of people just wanted Andy to put to play pretty well today. And, and he did that. So congratulations to Andy Dalton. I'm sure that felt pretty good to get a win in Cincinnati, his first time back since leaving the team earlier this year. And uh, just a weird sequence of events because the Bengals don't have their starting quarterback, Joe Burrow. He's done for the year. And neither do the Dallas Cowboys. And in comes Andy Dalton as a backup playing against Brandon Allen. Uh, 
Brandon Allen, I thought, played pretty well today, and we'll get to some of his numbers. I thought he played pretty decent. There were some egregious misses. One was in the back of the end zone in the second half where he just, on a fourth down, he just decided to sail one. That was a pretty bad throw. He sailed one across the middle um, to Tyler Boyd. Both those were misses to Tyler Boyd. But he had a couple of very nice throws to A.J. Green, um, a couple nice throws to T. Higgins, and his stats would have even been even more gaudy if uh, there weren't a couple of drops. So, you know, kudos to Brandon Allen. It seems as if he is putting in the work and doing well. Unfortunately, as is the case with, as it's been the entire year, Brandon Allen can't stay healthy behind this offensive line. And now we're seeing quarterback after quarterback get, get dropped and get injured. Um, you know, it sounded like Brandon Allen had kind of a ribs or had the wind knocked out of him. Gosh, what was that last week, a couple of weeks ago? And then now you've got him here limping around on a bad ankle after taking a couple of hits off the blind side. So you, you got to hope he's okay. I mean, one of the goals here as this season begins, it continues to spiral out of control on the back end of this schedule here. Um, one of the things that you you wanted to see, or one of the things you're hoping to see, is that Brandon Allen can prove himself as the backup quarterback of the future for the Bengals and be a guy that if there is another emergency situation where he needs to step in and play in a game for a little bit or string together a couple of games, a couple of starts that he shows that he is capable of carrying this team. And, you know, I mean, you can say seven points is seven points, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that was by the fault of Brandon Allen, at least not mostly. I think a lot of people contributed to this issue today, whether it was on, uh, defense, whether it was the three turnovers in a matter of just barely over one quarter of play, um, it just it just keeps piling on and piling on. And I don't I don't think I don't think that Brandon Allen was was the problem today. You could make that argument that he was a, a pretty big factor in the, the last couple of losses, if you want. But Brandon Allen's not the biggest problem on this team, especially not not this afternoon. Um, and we'll get to his stats in a little bit, but unfortunately he had to leave early because of an ankle injury that just kept hindering him. So um, good to have all of you with us again. I'm Anthony Cazenza seeing a lot of familiar names in our live chats. Good to have all of you with us. Appreciate it. We can commiserate on all these losses. Um, you know, it, unfortunately this season is just not much like many things in 2020. This is not turning out how we had hoped. And I, I think for Zach Taylor, I think you had to, if you're in his shoes, you had to say, you know, even if we lose all these games, even if we only win one of these games, the way we perform has to say something. And you could make the argument in the last couple of games that, hey, you know, the effort was there. You had to like, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the effort was there. Um, they, they, The team looked like they were sleepwalking today. And what was very concerning about, those three fumbles was that they they were made. Two of them were made by you know guys that are are veteran guys, guys they rely upon in various capacities. One of them has a captain on his logo on his chest in Gio Bernard and Alex Erickson. Fumbles happen, it happens, but three in a span of a quarter is pretty unacceptable, especially when it's it's not like it's coming from you know the drops today by T Higgins. One, he kind of alligator-armed it across the middle, and you, you kind of go, buddy, what, what are you doing? Um, you kind of chalk that up a little bit to a rookie mistake. Hearing footsteps, that sort of thing. When Gio Bernard and Alex Erickson are the guys that are coughing up the football, that have been on your football team for a number of years, 
And the fact that the fumbles keep occurring when one happens, when two ha- I mean, when one happens, I think everybody, when you get your hands on the football, you kind of make a mental note. Hey, let's let's maybe hang on to that ball a little more securely here. We, we made a mistake here. Let's move on. When two happens, I would think that everybody is ha- has that idea in their mind. And then somehow, inexplicably, you have three. So I, they just kind of seem to be sleepwalking a little bit through this one. And, you know, they kept the game manageable into the third quarter, but their mistakes, their inability to convert and extend drives beyond fourth down, um, you know, not converting fourth downs, rather, that's that's an issue. And, look, uh, the Bengals ended up scoring at the end of the, the half there. That was nice. But before that half, the bang, there was a stat that was thrown out on, on TV. I don't know if anyone caught it that I thought was pretty damning. The Cincinnati Bengals this year in, tw- in the year 2020, inside the five-yard line, when they get the ball inside the five-yard line, their touchdown percentage is 67%. So when they have a first and goal from the opponent's five-yard line, they only get touchdown 67%. Now that of the time. Now that shot up a little bit with the touchdown today, but that's from an offensive uh, offensive head coach and a supposed offensive guru, regardless of who is playing quarterback, that is not a good stat to have. 67% of touchdowns uh, from five yards, from the opponent's five-yard line or in when you have a a goal-to-go scenario. That's just, you got to be more successful than that. You have to be more successful than that. And even when Joe Burrow was in there, there were too many occasions where they were exchanging field goals for for touchdowns, whether it was at the five-yard line or, or not. There was just too many too many situations where that that was the case, and it's it's continued to plague this team. They're just not scoring points. They're not scoring points. We knew that would they would come at a premium without Joe Burrow in the lineup, but they're just not scoring points. And then on top of that, uh, sometimes three and outs, the defense will go right back out there and let up some plays, and it's just it's a whole cycle. You know, you're kind of chasing chasing your tail here. I am going to play for you the press conference uh, just a, a brief snippet in case you missed it uh some of the the media members of you know dave lapham and jeff hobson and you hear a couple of voices through this thing but i'm only going to play one little brief snippet it's an eight minute the entire press conference of zach's was eight minutes the post-game press conference and you could see i'm playing this for you and showing this to you for a couple of reasons number one um, he talked about in this clip, he talks about the errors and how they get frustrating for him and the rest of the football team, the repeated errors and losing, et cetera. So uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting segment of the, of the, pre, uh, the press conference there. But also I, I want you to maybe take note of the facial expressions and the body language from what you can from a, a video, a video chat type of scenario, but I think it's pretty interesting and, and maybe even a little telling. So I'm going to play this. I'm going to cue this up for you. This is on bangles.com. So go check that out. The, the eight minute clip is kind of, you have to scroll down a little bit. You'll be able to find it. And um, we're going to play that for you here. I'm going to share this and I'm going to play just a brief snippet of this for you here. It seems as if you're just getting tired of seeing what you're seeing. Maybe that's the reason for some of the moves. 
it's just when you lose, it's frustrating, you know, and it's hard to get rid of this feeling um, that we feel, you know, at the end of every week right now. It's frustrating because um, we feel good about the position we're about to put ourselves in, and then, you know, it's a myriad of reasons or why we lose, and ultimately, it 100% falls on me, 100%, you know, and it's um, it's just frustrating. It's really frustrating. A lot of effort goes into this. Um, guys pulling together. Still a very close team. I think you can see that as you see them out there playing. We just haven't made the plays that, that put us in a position to win the game. And, and uh, it just it, it makes you sick to start the way that we started today. You know, you, as good as you feel walking out of that locker room in pregame, um, you're sick to your stomach when you start with three straight fumbles to start the game. It's just uh, it's a it's a very difficult way to play football. Third quarter. So that was Zach Taylor in his uh, post-game press conference talking about the fumbles and the way the Bengals started the game there. Uh, again, that's on Bengals.com. I just thought that was an interesting little segment of the the entire press conference, uh, taking assuming the blame on on himself, as I guess a good head coach should. Uh, you know, I I don't really I, I I think I'm kind of in the same shoes as Zach Taylor. I don't. I don't, if you feel like you've prepared very well throughout the week and you feel pretty good about the way you're heading into these games, um, I, I guess I don't understand where you prepare so well and then you come out on your home field and you turn the ball over three times, fumble it three times in a row. And these aren't, you know, I mean, some of these guys are getting extensive time for the first time, whether it's Travion Williams. He had a, he had a few nice runs, but he had that fumble. Um, you know, you're, you had a Denigy in there when that fumble occurred. Fred Johnson getting more time back at left tackle later in the game. I mean, it's it's just a, a mishmash of a lot of different players coming and going. But you know, a sign of a good team is when your number is called, even if even if you're not, you know, a, a regular starter or a heavy rotational player. When your number is called, you answer the bell. And um, I, these guys came in and they're just. They sort of did. I mean, there was a couple of positives and, like I said, nice runs by Travion Williams and stuff. But, you know, you got to make sure that if you're going to be in the game that you're not, you're not you're not putting the ball on the turf. And earlier, the reason I bring that up is earlier in this press conference, Zach Taylor said it was part of the plan that they were going to rotate backs in this game. They were going to rotate them in regardless of if Geo fumbled or whoever else fumbled. They were going to rotate these guys. So the fact that if that's true, these guys should be prepared to be entering the game and know that, hey, you know, ball security is of paramount importance. And they just did not take care of the ball, and it was a, a sour tone to start the, the, the game for the team, and they never, ever recovered. Never recovered. So I, I, it's, it's just – it's almost like on loop right now right i mean you just kind of see the same mistakes and it's just it's frustrating maddening and by the way you know i know including myself we tried to find some moral victories as to you know the team's performance against the giants teams for the and then basically the the burrow list games we tried to find positives and hey you know they're playing well and they almost won that game against the giants and you know, you try you try and scramble for positives here, but look, I mean, the Giants 
lost at home to the Arizona Cardinals and the Arizona Cardinals started real hot, but they've fallen off a cliff since they're six and six now, but they, they lost the giants who barely beat the Bengals lost at home in New York, 26 to seven to the Cardinals who were six and six. So how good is that team? Right. I mean, that it's just, you're you're measuring sticks that you're trying to use to scramble for positives just it's not stacking up to where there's any kind of real items to be proud of as as the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of you know these last handful of weeks and you know there's yeah you can still say there was some effort the last couple of of weeks and I, I think I would agree with that to a certain extent but and maybe even today, there there's guys playing. Tyler Boyd, you know, there was a couple of plays that Tyler Boyd had today where he was going towards the sideline. He could have just scurried out of out of bounds. Instead, he lowered his shoulder right before an initiated contact with a defender. Guys are playing, but I don't. I, I again the fumbles by veterans who have been on this team for a very long time. That is disheartening, and when you supposedly prepare certain players throughout the week to say, you're going to get the ball this week, here's what we're going to try and do, and they turn the ball over when they finally get their shot, that is – it's not good. It's not good. I'm seeing – ooh, uh, I don't know if it's Dutchum Steven or Steven Dutchum, but says – I was there. It was so disappointing. I, I would love to know what the uh, the aura of the stadium was like today. Um, Barry Eilert, I thought this was Eifert for a second, uh, starts at the top until the Brown family relinquishes control. The Bengals will be sw- swimming upstream. I encourage you to maybe take a look at, a not to self-promote, but a post that I put up on Cincy Jungle this week, basically not absolving Zach Taylor, but kind of saying, look, I mean, we, we can all say fire Zach. We can all say fire Zach, and I'm seeing a lot of it in our live chats. We can say that all we want. We can run him out of, the t- out of town. And that's, quite honestly, this is why I've been hesitant to say we should fire Zach Taylor. The Bengals should fire Zach Taylor. Unless the organization changes certain elements of its structure, you're going to keep going in this carousel ride. And you're going to keep running coaches out of town, and you're not going to have the success that you that you want. There needs to be a some changes in the organizational structure for this team in order for any coach to be successful. It's quite possible that Zach Taylor was never going to be a good head coach anywhere. It's quite possible he can go somewhere else in the right system where the organization spreads out its power a little bit so that the head coach doesn't have to take so much on in terms of overall team responsibility and he can thrive in, a, in an atmosphere like that. We don't know. Because the way that the Bengals are set up, it puts a lot more pressure on a head coach than in other places. Tim McGee, a guy who played for Mike Brown, a guy who played for Paul Brown, a guy who played for Sam Weish, and a guy who played for David Shula. He's seen a lot of things, and now he covers the Bengals. He was on our show this week, and he said he believes that Marvin Lewis for sure will be successful far more successful somewhere else because he doesn't have to take on what he had to take on with the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of assuming all kinds of different responsibilities that head coaches don't normally have to assume around the NFL. So that's, I, I mean, I, 
it's very possible. Yeah, maybe it's time to move on from the Zach Taylor era, but you can bring in the next guy, and who's to say that he's going to be set up for success if everything above the head coach remains the same? I don't know. Let's look at a the tail of the tape, if you will. We've got a couple of different um, – I'm going to pull up both NFL.com and ESPN.com. Again, I'm Anthony Cazenza with CincyJungle.com and the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast doing the Week 14 post-game show. Hope you're enjoying it. Glad to have you with us. Ho- hope you joined us for the Narragansett pregame show. Matt Minnick, John Sheeran, and myself. We have a lot of fun up until kickoff about an hour before and then right up to kickoff. So hope you enjoyed that. Hope you enjoy the myriad of podcasts that we offer you on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, whether it's the Orange and Black Insider, Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, or Ace and Zim's Orange is the New Black. Uh, I think they're all quality shows. Hope you do too. So check them out how you can. We appreciate the support. Let's check out. I'm going to start with the NFL.com screen share for you all that are watching live or if you're watching after the fact well that's fine if you're watching after the fact we can we can get there uh we'll, we'll get you live here at some point you have to you have to join us um so let's look at some of these stats here and we'll start with the cowboy side of things and andy dalton's uh andy dalton's numbers right here 16 of 23 185 yards two touchdowns zero interceptions nothing flashy couple of nice throws to his wide receivers, but didn't need to light the world on fire because the Bengals gave the game away with those three fumbles, essentially, and, and a lot of short fields, a lot of short fields. You can see the the running game here. Again, nothing really spectacular. Ezekiel Elliott, 12 carries, 48 yards, and one was kind of a long run at the end of the game there. So, I mean, they weren't really doing all that much on the ground either. Um, it's just a matter of the, of, you know, the offense giving them short fields and those three turnovers really just kind of took the game right out of the Bengals hands there. You like the pun? I did. You can look at the receiving again, nothing real special here. Mari Cooper or CD lamb, you know, a lot of just efficient plays, nothing, nothing overly explosive. Uh, you can go here. Here's the here's the recoveries. Alden Smith had the one for the touchdown. Jalen Smith had one, and Jordan Lewis had one. So um, those are the those are the Cowboys who recovered the fumbles there. Uh, you can see here pretty active game by Jalen Smith, former Notre Dame linebacker. Here's the deal though: Tyrone Crawford didn't have a sack up until this game. In two consecutive plays, had two sacks. <laughs> so. Go figure that one out. Those were the only two of the day, but as I mentioned before, when we started the show, Brandon Allen took a number, a number of hits that caused him to leave the game prematurely. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't the, – the quarterback sacks don't necessarily speak to exactly how good or bad the offensive line was today for the Cincinnati Bengals. If you look here at Brandon Allen, 27 of 36, I mentioned a couple of drops, really efficient day by him as well. Nothing super flashy. There was maybe, you know, a a nice intermediate slash maybe short deep ball to AJ green. That was kind of the, one of the big plays, a couple of misses on his own too, a couple of bad misses, but overall, I mean, managed the game pretty well. And I think most, most of us who saw that, found that he was he was capable today and looked far more comfortable against 
the Cowboys than he did in his first start a couple of weeks ago. Now, again, this, this Cowboys team hasn't been doing much on defense either. So maybe that has something to do with it, but I, I think, I think we can give Brandon Allen some kudos for his performance today. You know, there wasn't anything super killer um, other than really, again, just not being able to extend drives, you know, as fourth down tries that weren't converted, but you know, sometimes there are penalties and all of that that contributed to those drives stalling out. So you see Ryan Finley, one of two, five yards came in at the end of the game. He was, he was the guy who was sacked twice. So um, go figure. Travion Williams leading rusher of the day, 12 carries, 49 yards, did have over four yards of carry. P Ryan, 32 yards on 10 carries. Um, Brandon Allen had a couple of runs there. So they tried the, um, I guess they would call it still catches by Tyler Boyd, but they tried the the jet sweeps and those, those sort of like kind of shovel passes to Tyler Boyd. They tried that about two or three times today. A.J. Green, decent day, six catches, 62 yards, and a touchdown on seven targets. A couple of really nice catches by A.J. Green today. They said they were going to get him more involved, and they did, so kudos to him. T. Higgins, five catches, 49 yards on eight targets. A couple of those were uh, drops, I believe, so um, – you know, unfortunately, he had that one across the middle that just he just kind of alligator armed it or took his eye off the ball because he heard some footsteps there. That was kind of not a great, great play. But overall, he's still looking like a, a pretty studly player and a, a good pick going forward. Tyler Boyd, Boyd, five catches, 43 yards. Again, you see, that's that's the other thing um, you can kind of knock Brandon Allen for a little bit is just, you know, the short intermediate passing, nothing explosive downfield but you can also attribute that to questionable blocking you know this this offensive line isn't built to withstand a ton of five and seven step drops where a quarterback kind of scans the field for a long time because they just can't hold up and pass pro that well so uh Giovanni Bernard got involved in the pass game a little bit too three catches 15 yards um here are your culprits of the fumbles as I mentioned Gio Bernard Alex Erickson two veterans and Travion Williams a guy who you know supposedly was prepped on the fact that he was going to be rotated in quite a bit today and uh unfortunately all three of them all three of them fumbled and lost those fumbles Darius Phillips had a decent day today uh, had a couple of pass breakups. One, you kind of could have said, well, is that is that P.I.? Maybe, maybe not, but good game coming back for him. I mean, he the, the receivers ended up picking apart the Bengals a little bit towards the middle part of the game, kind of extending drives. But, you know, not, not, none of the killer uh, long touchdowns from those guys. You know, one of the touchdowns was at the end to, to a running back in the flat by Dalton. Um, so, you know, nothing, nothing crazy given up by the defensive backs here. Josh Binder leading tackler with, with seven Von Bell right up there with five total. And, uh, you did have a sack by Jordan Evans and another by Margus Hunt. The one by Hunt was caused by Carl Lawson applying the initial pressure kind of toss the <laughs> left tackle out of the way there. And then Marcus Hunt and others cleaned it up. Um, Hunt had two tackles for lost day, including that sack. So pretty good, pretty good day by him as well. Uh, Khalil McKenzie had a nice tackle for loss. He's a, he's a big boy, that guy, <laughs> big boy. Uh, I'm going to transition now to a little bit more team stats. So you can kind of check this out. I'll share this. This is from ESPN.com, their box score of the game itself. 
here. I mean, if you actually look at it statistically, um, not. I mean, the Bengals had more total yards, far more plays. They were only one of four on fourth down, over 50% on third down. Surprise, surprisingly, they're nine of 16. Uh, Cowboys were five of 11. 309 to 272 in terms of total yards, 70 to 50 total plays. Bengals had 70 plays to the Cowboys 50. Yet, here you go, the yards per play full yard more per play by the Cowboys 5.4 to 4.4 Bengals had more passing yards 208 to 171 exact same rushing yards <laughs> 101 that's pretty funny and then the Bengals pretty clean penalty wise I mean had a couple of issues but three penalties for 25 yards that's not going to kill you but what will look at the red zone two of four for the Cowboys, one of three for the Bengals. That's not going to do it for you. And then, of course, the three turnovers by the Bengals. Look at the time of possession. Bengals had the ball, you know, nine and a half minutes more than the Cowboys. 34-41 to 25-19. Those are usually, I mean, there are a lot of indicators that show that the Bengals, I love saying this phrase, coulda, woulda, shoulda, won this game. Low penalty amounts, won the time of possession, more total yards, same amount of rushing yards. But the hidden critical stats, the red zone woes, the turnovers, that sort of thing, those are the those are the indicators as to why the Bengals lost this game. Again, they lose 30 to 7 to the Dallas Cowboys at home. Andy Dalton gets his win against the Cincinnati Bengals upon his return to Cincinnati. And um, good for him. Good for him. Not good for the Bengals, but good for him. As we sit here today, the Bengals currently have the number three overall pick. Most people are saying that that will result in potentially them picking Panay Sewell, a guy who has only given up one sack in two full seasons of college football as a starter. He opted out of this season. That's pretty much really the only question mark about him at this point. It is a significant one, but uh, he seems to be a, a can't-miss prospect at this point, and that just seems to be the guy that um, the Bengals will probably have their sights set on. And the last time the Bengals picked number three and looked at a Pac-10 or Pac-12 offensive tackle, they got Anthony Munoz out of the deal. And there were some concerns about Anthony Munoz. A lot of people thought he had bad knees, and he ended up being pretty good. So I guess that's where we got to hang our hats at this point is hope that Sewell is the guy that a lot of people think he is. The Tom Voland here. This is an interesting one. Two ten and one four twenty four and one. Why doesn't somebody ask about a new play caller? Second half is a joke, even worse than the first. Clueless, way over his head. See, this is uh, good for Andy Dalton here by by Bengal Flores. This is to to Tom's point. This was my point about what I wrote on CincyJungle.com and the question I asked Tim McGee earlier this week. Zach, I, I've I kind of came to the realization that Zach Taylor, yes, bit off a little more than he can chew by assuming play calling duties and having a staff that is very that was very green and inexperienced for the roles in which they were placed. And then he, you know, he's calling plays and all of that. And it's a, that in itself is a lot. And then what I mentioned earlier about what the, how the Bengals organizational structure 
places even more responsibilities on head coaches in scouting areas, player evaluation, that sort of thing, where they have to have their hands in basically everything. And head, head coaches should be aware or involved in a lot of different facets of, of a football team. Don't, don't get me wrong, but a former player talked about how it is an immense responsibility on Bengals head coaches based on how management, what, what the, the responsibilities they place upon coaches. It's just different for the Bengals than it is in other, in other NFL teams. So, um, that's that's just something you gotta you gotta think about, and the Cincinnati Bengals ownership group has to think about that because if they're ready to pull the trigger and make a move to move on from Zach Taylor and his staff after two seasons. By the way, I don't I do not think that Zach Taylor will be fired after today or this week. I, I think they got it. They're probably going to unless there is some sort of mindset of we got to see. We interviewed Darren Simmons. We got to see if this team responds to Darren Simmons as a head coach. That would be the only reason I would see that that ownership would make a move in these last handful of games here. Um, I, I just these last three games, I, I don't, I don't see Zach Taylor not lasting the rest of 2020. I don't know about 21 because normally, I, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, even with the Burrow injury, whatever, and all the issues we've seen, I don't think the Bengals are moving on. But as these losses continue to get worse and worse, if we were seeing a lot of 1930, like if you remember last year when Finley was in there and Dalton towards the end, there were a lot of games where the Bengals were kind of close. It was low scoring and they just, it was like, yeah, it's just not a good team. This year it's now, now you don't have your quarterback again. And it's, I mean, it's just, these games are spiraling way out of control and you're seeing a very, very large talent discrepancy, coaching discrepancy between two teams on Sunday. So I, but regardless, I don't see Zach Taylor getting fired in season this season. Unless there's a, a big call for Darren Simmons and seeing giving him some sort of audition in these last handful of games as head coach, I don't see that happening. I don't know about 21. But my point is, is if, if the Bengals ownership group is wanting to move on from Zach Taylor, just placing another head coach in the same exact situation in terms of how they run their franchise – I don't know how you can expect to have different results unless you find just, you know, that those guys, I, I start now, I look back to Marvin Lewis and I go, well, maybe he is extremely, extremely talented and capable based on what he was able to do with this team and how competitive they were as frustrating as those playoff losses were as much as it was very much the time to move on from Marvin Lewis after 16 years, you kind of look back now and you go, okay, well, if it's true what Tim McGee said about Bengals coaches having more on their plate than other NFL coaches, you have to kind of say Marvin did a pretty good job with this team. Same with Sam Weish because he's, he was working with probably even less than what Marvin had to do. So, or Marvin had to deal with rather. So unless you find another kind of generational guy that can, that can manage all of that stuff, you could just make life easier on yourself reorganize some of the structure, put football minds and, and add in some positions within the organization to help you evaluate talent more properly, evaluate coaches properly. I mean, I would think that if you're going to move on from Zach Taylor, 
based on what he had to do, he went and moved through three coaches in the 90s, Mike Brown did. He wants coaching stability. Why not, why not provide the blueprint organizationally? Why not provide the blueprint to be able to, to maintain that stability? So I guess my point is we could we could all sit here and try and run Zach Taylor out of town. Um, we don't we don't know if he would be successful somewhere else in a different team that maybe he's got a little more support within the organization. But you know you can be quick to run the guy out of town. In comes a new guy. Is that are we going to have vastly different results? I don't know. I don't know. Just based on how things are are constructed within this team, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm beating a dead horse, I believe. And uh, yeah, Shelton, I, I get it. Yeah, Marvin was a great coach, but his time was done. He was burned out here. Absolutely. Totally 100% agree. 100% agree. You could see it in Marvin's face in 27, basically after that that wild card loss. It was time for Marvin to to go. That's, that's when it was time to go and move on. Um, and you could see it. It just, you know, the energy level drained and the fun was kind of taken out of it. But you know, I always used to say, uh, you know, he's getting older and he's just, you know, he's not the guy. Well, it may have just been an emotional and psychological drain to do all the extra stuff that a Bengals head coach has to do within this organization. Whereas Marvin had been with Washington, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and he had seen what those head coaches had in terms of support systems in place. And he probably just got exhausted. But I, I mean, I, I 100% agree. I have great coach was long overdue to move on from him. He was burned out, but I, I think my point remains that Marvin was the guy that spurred a lot of change within this organization in terms of how they operate. You know, McGee and Hushmanzada and others have publicly said to Keo Spikes, we interviewed him earlier this year. Uh, they credited the hell out of Marvin and what he did with the Cincinnati Bengals and moved them for moving that team forward into operating like a modern franchise. But now, you know, you've moved on from him. You've brought in this new coach, which I, I thought was, I was unsure about Taylor at the time, but I, th- I kind of like the move from the standpoint of, hey, the Bengals are kind of moving towards that young, innovative approach to football. Get that offensive-minded guy. Get your number one overall pick quarterback, and let's go to town. But it's not working. And it's not working because of Zach Taylor, and his staff, it's also not working because of how the Bengals operate. And until that top layer starts to do things differently, then the layer right below them, the coaches, um, they're just they're not going to have a good chance to succeed in, until that change is made. So that's my point. Bengals lose 30-7 week 14 at home against the Dallas Cowboys. Andy Dalton gets the win. Bengals drop to 2, 10, and 1. They sit with the number three overall pick as we currently sit here today. And based on what was witnessed today, I have a hard time believing that they will be moving out of that number three pick. I don't I don't know that there's another win on this on this schedule. Um, and if there is, it might be one that saves Zach Taylor's job for next year, depending on who it's against. But we'll see. I'm Anthony Cazenza with CincyJungle.com. I'm going to get on out of here. This has been the post-game show for week 14. Again, the Bengals lose 30-7 to against the Dallas Cowboys. Congratulations to Andy Dalton getting a win against his former team. And the Bengals will go back to the drawing board and try and 
uh, figure some things out over these next handful of games to try and have some things to feel positive about over the next handful of weeks and into the offseason. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Megaphone, all kinds of different stuff. So this show, the others in our podcast channel, Orange is the New Black, and Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk are all part of the Cincy Jungle podcast channel. Check it out. Leave us a rating. We appreciate that. Or under my left arm here, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. We put out a lot of different content here. And then, of course, we've got the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. Go subscribe, like, all that, just so you know when new stuff is out, when we're going live. If you'd like to join the live recordings, that sort of thing, you get notified if you subscribe and like pages, that sort of thing. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Enjoy what's left of your weekend. We're coming up on the Christmas holiday. Happy Hanukkah to those of you who are celebrating that. Have a good rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you soon.